Well, friends, welcome to the last Sunday of 2019. Welcome to the last Sunday of this decade. Let that sink itself in. And okay, look around. Today. Because what happens in that no man's land is you just lose all sense of time, don't you? You go, what day is today? Do, do I need to go to work? Some of you, maybe you went to work and it was, there was no work and it was closed and you went back home. And, and you kind of are in this fog and moment when we don't even know what day it is. That we start making these resolutions for the next year. How idiotic is that? When we're at our worst and most tired and exhausted, that's when we're making goals for the next year. That's crazy. But today I want to help you with a goal. I want to help you to think just logically and with thought and with clarity about a goal that might just very well change your life in 2020. So you ready for that? Can we go on that journey together? I want to set the stage with a bit of a story from Jesus' life. He's in this moment of being tired and exhausted, much like we may find ourselves today. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, and I should have it on the screens as well for you. And, and we find Jesus in this season of fasting and prayer. A season where Jesus is really tired, he's really hungry, and he's been seeking the Father. And here's what happens. Luke 4, 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I love how they had to say that. Just in case you're wondering, Jesus was hungry. You know why they said it? Because John wants to make very, or Luke wants to make very, very clear that Jesus was a man of flesh. He was going to get hungry. And he was going to get tired. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. My wife, uh, I didn't, okay, my wife got a, a bread maker for Christmas. It didn't come from me, so don't judge me. But there's nothing like fresh baked bread. And here's Jesus, 40 days into a fast, and, this, and, and the enemy comes, command this stone to become fresh baked bread. And Jesus answered him, and he said this, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Notice what the enemy did? Now he switches the script a little bit. Now he starts bringing the written word to Jesus because Jesus has been re replying with the written word. So I'm going to get you. 
It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, Jesus then begins his ministry. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus finds himself in a moment of exhaustion, a moment that precedes his launch into ministry, his launch into the next steps, into the next thing. Friends, that's where we find ourselves right now. This moment precedes the launch into a new decade, into a new year. And God is calling us to some things. But in order us to, to answer that call and to walk in that, we have to begin to do some things in our own hearts and our own lives. We need to begin to take ownership about a few things. When it all hits the fan, in the midst of his weakness, where does he turn? Where does Jesus turn? He's being tempted. Where does he turn? He turns to the word. He declares the words of God over the situation he finds himself in. And the word that we're referring to is the scriptures. And if you're taking notes, write this down. This is our main thing statement today. If you're taking notes, write this down. The word of God reveals the way of God, which reveals the who of God. The word of God reveals the way of God, which reveals the who of God. Do you remember the days before GPS and Google Maps? You in this room? Pre-internet days. Now, I'm 37 years old, and so I kind of straddle two eras. I remember a time before computers and phones that were not attached to the wall and not having internet, but I also remember that first dial-up internet that entered my home. I remember getting those AOL floppy disk things in the mail, and or you, you know what I'm talking about? I kind of straddle two eras, and so I kind of have a taste of both. But for some of you here, perhaps you are of a digital age. Perhaps you're a Gen Z or maybe a younger millennial, and all you remember is having access to the internet and, and YouTube and how, how many... I have my education is basically based on YouTube. Anything I want to learn, I YouTube it. And I just look for reviews to make sure the guy's not an idiot. But here's what happened for my generation. We have many Xers and baby boomers in the room. And when people ask you for directions... I'm just going to throw it out. This is often what you do, okay? I'm just going to give you a scenario. You'll say things like, go north of Blah Blah Street, and then turn east when you get to the highway, and take the highway, Blah Blah East exit, and, and the store will be on the west side of Blah Blah Street. You know what I hear when you say that to me? I hear I am never going to find this place. I have no idea what you just said because I have no sense of direction. You know why? Because I grew up in an era where I didn't need to learn it. I live in an era where I don't have to have a sense of 
east, west, north, all, all that, you know, people come into this building oftentimes, they're like, well, there's a door on the, the northwest part of the building. I'm like, I don't know, I'm, you're going to have to walk me there because I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have that intrinsic skill built into me because I never had a need for it. And usually I'm good to go until Google messes up. And if Google messes up, I'm hooped. But this is the reality for many of us in this this life of faith. We've we've traded the basic skills of faith for the on-demand of OK Google and hey, Alexa, and Siri, we've, we've traded some basic fundamental practices and skills because we have on-demand information. This is fine for a lot of things, but when it comes to knowing God, like having a personal relationship with God, it's a broken system. It's a broken system because knowing God is is not just an intellectual exercise of having the right information at the right time because it goes deeper than that. We're going to talk a little bit about this, this idea that in order to know God, you need to know his word. It needs to be intrinsic. It needs to be a part of you. It needs to be internalized. To know God is to know his word. And Jesus didn't face the temptation of the enemy in the wilderness and then head out of the wilderness and get to the synagogue and start looking through scrolls to figure out, okay, what's my response? How do I deal with this? You know, the enemy comes up and, oh, man, I don't know. Okay, Google, what do I do? What does Jesus tell me to do? No, he had learned and internalized the word of God well before the crisis. The key to living a successful life of faith is knowing the word of God before the crisis, before the temptation, before the situation arises where you have to make a definitive decision. And so God's calling up. He knew north from south, east and west. This coming spring, we're going to be entering into a season and a series that we're entitling Renaissance. Renaissance. Or if you're from other places in the world, renaissance, I think, right? Renaissance? Is that, is that sitting well with more of the Europeans in the room? But renaissance means this, a revival of or renewed interest in something. A revival of or renewed interest in something. Part of reviving our pursuit of faith in this day, in this cultural moment, is renewing our pursuit of God through knowing his word. Did you know we live in one of the most biblically illiterate cultures of all time? Like the only other moment in history that rivals perhaps today is back when the Catholic Church had everything in the scriptures under lock and key of a language that was only the Vulgate, which is only interpreted by the priests to the people because the people couldn't read it. That's about the only time in the history of the world where we are as biblically illiterate as we are today. And I'm speaking not just of the world, I'm speaking too of the church. The word of God reveals the way of God, which reveals the who of God. You want to know God? 
know his word. You want to have a relationship with God? Be in his word. That's, that's the pathway. That's all he gives us. It's his word and the spirit who reveals the word to us and causes it to come alive in us, which changes us, changes everything. One of the fam- most famous and well-known scriptures when it comes to, to the logos, which means the word, it's the Greek word for the word, is found in John chapter 1, and it says this, John 1. In the beginning was the capital W, Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Who's John speaking of here? Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus. Nowhere else in the gospel of John does he use the word logos in this way. After this chapter, he does not use the word logos the same way. He does not use it in this way. And and logos is is the Greek word for word. It's simply what it means, is word. But but John is making a profound point for his readers. He's kind of connecting the dots for us and setting up a definition to each subsequent use of the word logos. The word of God is Jesus, is what he's saying. The word of God is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. John creates a context in which we must define the word logos in a different light. We can't just look at it just simply as a word. We have to see it as personifying the person of Jesus. This is why in order to have a relationship with God, you need to know his word because his word is a perfect reflection of who Jesus is. You want to know Jesus being his word. When you're in his word, you'll know Christ. You can't separate the two. And if we do, we get into a lot of trouble. In other words, he is describing a faith where you cannot know Jesus without the Logos. And you cannot truly know the Logos without knowing the person of Jesus. They both must be present to live a life of faith. The word of God reveals the way of God, which reveals the who of God. In doing so, John reveals a danger that we see played out over and over and over again in the history of the church. And I would even argue we see it played out over and over and over again in the history of our own seasons of faith. Moments when we separate the two components to knowing the word. Knowing the word in the sense of knowing the scriptures and knowing the word in the sense of knowing Jesus. And let, let me describe it this way. When, when Jesus enters the scene of the first century, Judaism had taken a bit of a turn. He found himself entering a climate of legalism and religion based on the law of Moses and the writings of the Old Testament. They they had traded knowing God through the word for a worship of the forms and functions that the word led them to. Now this is a small distinction, but it's an important distinction. They began to worship the word apart from the presence 
and it got pretty gnarly. We, we see this all over the cultural uh, Christianity through the history. We see different branches of the Christian church rising up in holiness movements and moments where the word became the main thing, right? Don't smoke, don't swear, don't go to theaters, and don't talk to people who do. You remember those days? Right? Those days where it was more about the word than it was about relationship with Jesus. It was more about living up to the expectations of the word and the expectations that we put on each other. And that's what happens when you take away the presence from the word. You get religious legalism. And it's dangerous. It kills people. How many people came out of that generation and left the church and left Christianity saying, no thanks, no way, I'm good. Thank you very much. But then there's a flip side. There's a flip side of the activities and movements of the church that we've seen over the history of Christianity, even dating back to the early church, where the word of God becomes secondary to the pursuit of the presence of Jesus manifested by the Spirit. Now, some of you may have grown up in churches like this, where the moving and the experience of the Spirit revealing Jesus took precedent over the Word of God. And sometimes, in some moments, the Word of God and the direction of God was put aside so we could have our, our moments of charismatic renewal. Just as dangerous. Just as dangerous. Because then you go so far off track. The moment a movement causes you to put the word of God as secondary to the movements, the moment a movement causes you to take the teachings of the apostles, and I'm talking capital A apostles, okay? Teaching was done. Teaching was done with the capital A apostles. We have everything we need in God's word. But the moment we have to put that aside in order to pursue what we feel God is calling us to, is the moment we've actually left the umbrella of the moving of the Spirit. They have to go together because to know God is to know his word. And to know his word is to know God. They go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Or we have a mess on our hands. Jesus is the word, and the word reveals Jesus because they're one and the same. The word of God reveals the way of God, which reveals the who of God. And I'm really excited about this series called Renaissance. We've been, I've actually been sitting doing a whole lot of research about that era, about the 14th century to the 15th century. Uh, some some uh, historians are going all the way to like the 18th century. Uh, I would say the peak was the 15th century. Amazing stuff was going on. Really cool innovations. Um, just really, really neat things. But one of the interesting that was, things that was happening at that time is a lot of the philosophers and scholars were turning back to classical philosophy. It wasn't new stuff. They were actually turning back to Greek and Roman philosophy. They're, they're actually turning back to old stuff old philosophers and, and all of this. And, and one of the things that we do get out of um, that, that period uh, of the Renaissance is, is a real push of, of humanism, 
as a philosophy. But I always thought it was interesting that here's this movement where they could have just delved into the new. Everything new. Let's start from scratch. Everything. And they didn't. They actually went back to the classical. And then at the same time, during that time, there was this innovation. There was all these things. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. But um, the Gutenberg Press was made. They invented paper. Uh, they invented a nautical compass. They, there's all sorts of these innovations and, and things that were invented that allowed uh, people to travel and hit the oceans and go and, and move. And, 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 and information was disseminated through this printing press and put out there. And the first Bible was printed, made available, the Gutenberg Bible. And there was all these new innovations. And so you had this marriage and this moment of the old and the new going on. I believe in our day that we in the church need to walk into a season where we marry the old with the new. And, and I'm not just talking about the methods of old. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking, we're not talking here. When I say the, the, the methods, I'm talking about like hymns versus courses or, or uh, tracks versus relational evangelism or, you know, all those different method things. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about the practices of faith. The fundamental practices of faith. Practices that we've lost in the church. We need to return as a generation to some of the classical practices of faith if we're going to make a difference in this world. Because, okay, Google's not going to get us there. As much as I wish it did, because I love shortcuts. I love life hacks. If I, can, if I can life hack something, I am overjoyed. But when it comes to my journey of faith, I've found that the life hacks just aren't working. They're just not working. They're just not getting me there. I need to return to the classical, fundamental practices of faith. To the things that are going to truly get me there, that are going to sustain me, that are going to cause me to change and look more and more like Jesus every day. Things like reading God's word, things like worship, things like community. Did you, did you know that community has become a discipline for us? There was a day and age where community was just built into the fabric of culture and society. It was not a discipline. It was just a reality of everyday life. Not today. Today, community, the discipline of community has become a discipline for us. To not just drive in and open our garage and drive in and close our garage and not have to interact with any other human being. Things like the discipline of prayer. Activities that are, that are like an antithesis to our definitions of activity, it was things like silence, things like solitude and thoughtfulness. And, and I'm not talking about solitude that looks like this, right? Um, for some of us, our solitude looks like spending way too long in the bathroom, just, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about solitude like that. I, I'm talking about solitude with the function of just being in the presence of Jesus. 
Solitude that looks like this. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge your presence here with me right now. Just be with me. I want to hear you. I want to know you. Jesus talked about going into your closet, closing the door and separating yourself from distraction and just being in his presence. These activities of faith are the only things that are going to cause us to know Christ in a way that's going to cause us to be effective for his kingdom in this cultural moment. You start doing that and you're going to look so weird. You start practicing the fundamental practices of faith and you are going to be a weirdo. I can promise you that. But you're going to be effective. People who practice these things are the people who change the world. People who walk in these disciplines are the people that make a difference for the kingdom. My prayer is that we would all catch a vision of our lives in 2020 that would cause us to recognize that doing the same thing we've always done just hasn't been working. Just hasn't been working. And things need to change. And I believe God is calling us in 2020 to be in his word. And not only us as a church, this is, this is a movement that's happening all over the world right now particularly in the West, where 2020, many, many leaders are talking about 2020 being a time of Scripture, a time of being in the Word, a time of reading the Word in public spaces, gathering with fellow believers in a Starbucks and just reading the Word together. Not with commentary, not a devotional thought, not like a preach like we're doing right now, but literally just getting into the word. And my practice in 2020 when I preach, and I, I don't know if this might upset some of you, there's going to be moments where I'm just going to take large passages of scripture that need to be read, and instead of summarizing that like we have in this decade, because we've tried to make it easy for you to sit and listen, we've tried to be entertaining Right? We've tried to summarize and paraphrase and do everything we can to keep you engaged. Instead, I'm just going to read God's word. I'm just going to read it. And those of us who are hungry are going to mature in faith. And those of us who aren't, I'm praying God will shift something in your spirit and call you to something more. But in pursuing these practices, we approach them as a means to an end and not the end in and of itself. Because what's the end? What has always been the end? Knowing Christ and him crucified. That has always been the end. That has always been our finish line. Knowing Jesus Christ. We practice them in order to know God in his presence. We don't practice them so we can feel really, really good about ourselves and point to other people and go, you're not doing what I'm doing. I'm better than you. Then we get into legalism. And then we get into these weird moments of separating presence from the word and the word from presence. Today we want to make a first step in this journey as practical as possible. Uh, Many of you have received the newsletter this week. 
If you have not, they are available. Ask the ushers and greeters on your way out, and they will get you one. But in our newsletter this, this week, for the month of January, we have a calendar. And it's the second page in your newsletter. And we just want to make this as painfully practical as possible. If you want to take that calendar and put it on your fridge or put it, fold it up, put it in your Bible. And if you want to track with us, we're going to begin just reading a chapter a day. And on that calendar is also just a, a prayer emphasis for that day. And so we just want to help you in this journey of including the word in your everyday. Here, here friends, your Bible reading and your prayer time, literally, with this plan, 10 minutes. Start with 10 minutes. Start, for some of you, that's 10 minutes more than you are already doing. For others of you, perhaps you'll just add it to your already robust, robust life of devotion to Jesus. But we want to take a journey together as community, reading the same things, being on the same page, taking this journey. And what we're also going to do is uh, we're going to have this on our socials every day. And so we're going to try it on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash myevangel.church or Instagram at myevangel.church. We're going to be posting every day these readings and these prayer emphasis moments. And we're just going to call one another to prayer in community. We're just going to call one another to prayer, to picking up this fundamental practice of faith and making a part of our rhythm and a part of our everyday. There's something powerful about doing things in community. That's why community needs to be a discipline. That's why uh, we're told not to neglect the gathering together of the church, of the saints, because we challenge one another, right? Iron sharpens iron. And so part of coming together is not just so we can feel good, but it's sometimes so we can be challenged by others. Accountability. And so we take this journey together. And this is what, something that we're calling the start with challenge. And you're going to be hearing more and more about this as the year goes on. But it's going to start with simply reading God's word. And then we're going to start moving as a community of faith into some memorization and internalization of God's word. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that together every Sunday. We're going to take you on a journey. Uh, we, we just welcome you to take that journey with us. But we're calling it the Start With Challenge. And we're going to take just an emphasis throughout this year of just digging into God's word, digging into things of prayer, and seeing what God can do through our lives. So I pray that you're convinced that a renewal of the practice of being in God's word is the pathway that's going to lead you to knowing God in a deeper way. I hope that I've helped you kind of think through critically this resolution for 2020. And perhaps, perhaps you'll take this on with some thought, with some prayer, with some consideration, counting the cost of it. Perhaps your 2020 is going to look a little bit different when it comes to your faith journey. Your response to the crisis of life will be determined not by your declaration of faith, but by your depth of knowing God revealed through his word. Your expressions of worship won't be determined just by how you feel about God, but deeply rooted in your knowledge of God revealing his worthiness of worship. The word of God reveals the way of God. 
which reveals the who of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. We're going to sing that song one more time, Nothing is Holding Me Back. And I'm going to invite you to stand. And so, Lord God, we submit this challenge to your leading. God, we feel like this is something you're calling us to, but each of us have to hear that and know that from your spirit and not just from, not just from me. So in this moment, Lord, would it be sacred? Would it be set apart for your purposes in our hearts and in our lives? Would you take us on this journey of establishing some practices that will change everything going into 2020 and this new decade. Would you raise up your church, Lord, to return to some of the hard work that it takes for journey of faith, some of the discipline that it takes to say no to the flesh and say yes to the Spirit. pray these things in Jesus' name. And in this moment of worship, in these closing moments, we acknowledge and recognize your presence here with us, speaking to our hearts. Lord, we want to hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen.